five-hour energy helps you get through your crazy on-the-go life. And now it comes in two great tropical flavors, strawberry banana and tropical burst. They're delicious and can transport you to a tropical paradise. Try them both, then vote for your favorite at 5hewin.com. You could be on the go to someplace you actually want to go. Offer ends 731.20. Terms apply. See www.5hewin.com for details. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Stephen the Warman Writes Kickfighting Podcast Show. I'm your host, Stephen the Warman. You are listening to this podcast in one of various ways, thanks to TJ DeSantis and the guys at Between Rounds Radio. Uh, but you are going to get this podcast uh, the most direct way is at the blog, lordgaul.podbean.com, or you can get it in iTunes search engine uh, by entering Warman Kickfighting Show. Also, I'll be on Spotify. Also, I'll be on SoundCloud. So there's a lot of ways to listen to the podcast. So I had a long episode for you guys last week. Don't have as long of one this week, but I also want to start a new series. My new series is I'm going to start going through the all-decade team, and I'm going to start with the middleweights. So before I get into that, let's go ahead and knock out some of these results. Uh, didn't have much going on, but um, one championship, as they had mentioned before, they'd like to do 50 shows this year. One of the shows they did uh, took place in Jakarta, which is one of the main places that they go. They go there pretty regularly. Um, Josh Tana gets a victory over Andy Housen. Um, Andy Housen in his 40s, uh, you know, I, I think they wanted him more because he's popular in England. But, man, in his prime, he really did bring the war. Like, every every fight had to had to have some violence in it. He had to get hit and he had to do some hitting. It's almost like one of those people, you, you meet those fighters that say they feel alive when they're in the exchanges. And uh, I remember that great after-fight interview with Richard Smith saying all he had to do was play the game and score some ports and move, but he's just it's just not his style. You know what I'm saying? Like, he just he has to make a war of it no matter what. So he really is a a all-action fighter, you know, especially in his prime. Uh, some of the fights that he had in Japan, he's just great. But he's also in his early 40s. And the time that he's put in, you know, it's, it's kind of caught up, you know. And uh, Josh Tona was able to have a lot of success, scored a big-time KO in the second round. Uh, you know, Housen, you know, landed a head kick in there and had some moments. But the series that Josh Tana put together uh, to finish the fight was extremely exceptional. So really, really good stuff there. And uh, definitely um, uh, we'll see what happens with Tana moving forward. Uh, Andy Housen, I'm glad he had this opportunity. You know, um, I think that he was probably even thinking that he was done with his career. And then this opportunity to go over to one championship. Right now, a lot of people in England feel that one championship is like the next big step. You know, they, they it's almost like getting to the UFC type of feel. Uh, it is, um, I think that paycheck is part of it, but I think the biggest part of it is just the idea that someone wants them and is paying for them to fight outside of England. And uh, I remember Lion Fight. I remember uh, a couple of people saying, you know, even though they fought in front of way bigger audiences in England, saying, uh, I think that I deserve the opportunity to go back and have rematch or, or take whatever, you know, or I beat this person, they fought in Lion Fight. I think I should get that opportunity to go over to America. It means a lot to them to have the opportunity to go abroad and compete. So we'll see what happens to it moving forward. You know, of course, other fighters in Mont Barlow, uh, you know, other fighters, uh, you know, um, Chris Shaw, who I talked about in the last podcast, a lot of people are getting those opportunities and uh, they're excited for them. And 
Um, uh, housing, I'm glad that Housing at this stage in his career had the opportunity to make that walk. Next fight on the card is Takai Nato as he takes on, uh, as he defeats Savas Michael. Uh, I actually really like this victory. Um, Takai Nato uh, is a solid guy, solid Muay Thai fighter. Um, Savas is, is, they've used him um, before, you know, mixed results. But uh, I think Nato is a guy who, again, their maps are a little bit confusing. You know, they do a lot of shows, but the storytelling isn't there as much as just uh, filling the card space. So, um, and basically what I mean by that is if you look at K1 World Grand Prix in its heyday, the, they had a full year that was the story. Who's going to be the champion of the year? And then it starts off at the top where you look at something like uh, the um, regional tournament and you win that regional tournament and then you get yourself to the uh, a spot in the uh, European Grand Prix or whatever and you win the European Grand Prix and then you get Grand Prix and then you get your opportunity to fight for the elimination uh, and if you beat the elimination round you get to go to Japan you get to fight for the big one uh, the K1 World Grand Prix but really the whole year was a story and that's kind of the thing that kickboxing needs that's what made those early stars it wasn't just that they were winning all the time, but you wanted to see who was going to win the year. And you were always excited about that. And then the other small shows that they did between got you into it, but they weren't anything as significant as getting and being drawn into that year, you know, until who's going to win the K1 World Grand Prix. So you don't necessarily have to do that, you know, but like you definitely want to have a story for how someone gets somewhere. Uh, NATO with a good win. Um, we'll see what it means for him moving forward. Last fight on this card that I want to talk about, uh, Petsch Marcotte gets victory over uh, Pong Suri, uh, unanimous decision for the featherweight title. Petsch Marcotte has had quite the run while he's been there, uh, quite the, the storied, uh, um, uh, well, what I mean by storied is he's been through a lot. So uh, good job for him. I'm glad that he got this win. He is a talent. Their featherweight title, I believe it's the same as their 135 title. Petsch is a good talent. Like He's a good, talented kid. Uh, there are other people who I, you know, prefer style-wise over him, you know, out of Thailand. But um, the featherweight title, uh, it's it's good cap in his feather, and I, I wish him all the best. I hope I have that right. I think they just moved it up. So I think your lightweight would be the same as welterweight. Uh, and then your feather. So maybe this is 154. Can't remember. Sorry about that. But Petch Morcott gets the title and moves forward. So we're going to go ahead and go into, as I talked about before, the all decade team from 2010 to 2019 it's very 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 important that i uh stress you guys and give you arguments for why i have everyone in the team and then give you the opportunity to debate feel free to call in message in i really feel that the four guys that i have for the first division that i'm going to do in the middleweight are obvious. I really think they're obvious. You can make an argument for one on the outside looking in, but man, for this four, I really think it's obvious. Just my personal opinion. I think it is an obvious um, uh, four here as opposed to some of the other weight classes. So we'll get into it and I'll bring up some of the honorable mentions later, but first I want to go ahead and go through it. So of the four, and this is in no particular order, you guys can order them how you want. But this is just to say who's going to make my team. And then we'll go back when it's all said and done. You guys can look at it, break down, uh, see who you like, who you think should be included and not included and so on. First guy I'm going to start talking about is Simon Marcus from Canada. Simon Marcus uh, is 
Phenomenal fighter, phenomenal athlete, looks the part, you know, and football, we used to use the term, you want this guy to come off the bus first because he's got that look. But Simon Marcus, if you tell somebody that he's a fighter, he's walking around with his shirt off, you're like, oh yeah, of course he is, you know what I'm saying? Ripped up dude, uh, exceptional in the clinch. Uh, his boxing got stronger as he continued to fight, really developed a good body kick game. My favorite thing about Simon is Simon, it's not simply that he was a talented guy, but as he started to adjusting to kickboxing uh, in the mid 2000s and, you know, made himself, you know, got himself up to be a champion. He really is a strong athlete, like, like, excuse me, a strong athlete that developed good kickboxing Despite the fact that it's not his strength, his strength was locking onto people in the clinch. Uh, if you look at his big wins, it's because he's able to close the distance. But we'll start going through it, and his resume is just, it's just insane. So we'll go ahead and start walking through it slow. Uh, Philip Verlinden, I think, is just outside of it. They fought in full rules Muay Thai. Uh, I can't remember the date on that one. But let's go ahead and get into the 2010s. 2010s, he had some good uh, opportunities, good fights and good wins in China. Then all of a sudden, Muay Thai Premier League comes out, go to Long Beach, California. He beats Artem Bakadap, who he also beat uh, in um, Thailand uh, with headgear and chin guards. But uh, Artem Bakadap, back when Ar- Bakadap was a smaller guy, he gets a victory over him. Then he gets the KO victory over uh, Joe Schilling. Uh, very controversial, that one. He did a perfectly legal full rules Muay Thai dump where he got his leg planted and he turned. The thing was, uh, Schilling was hurt from the dump. And when they got up and they restarted the fight, he stopped Schilling right afterwards. Then um, Golag Norrison, it's good to have that on the resume. Uh, I've never been the highest on Golag Norrison or Coke Life for, for people who prefer that pronunciation. Um, but because of his history with K1, especially as a heavyweight um he is a name that made this list. So he's there. Uh, Joe Schilling, uh, that was his second victory over Joe uh, in Vegas. Joe scored a knockdown in the first round, and then he took over the next rounds with his clinch game. Uh, definitely good stuff there. And then we move on. Fights and beats Artem Levin for the first time in line fight as the line fight champion. Victory over Dimitri Valent. Um, we have uh, the only asterisk was the Chidi uh, 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 Njokuani, uh like fight early, but you could really make the argument that he got the win there. The cards didn't go in his direction. Chidi had scored a knockdown in the fight. And then here goes a name that a lot of you guys are familiar with. In Kunlun, he gets a victory over Israel Adesanya. And uh, we move forward. Joe Schilling, they loses to Joe Schilling in that tournament. Uh, but um, in the, excuse me, in the... Uh, uh, glory tournament. That's his first opportunity to fight in glory, if I remember correctly. Um, Dimitri Valent gets another victory over him. Fan Bien is going to turn out to be a much better win. To, or, uh, is a loss that he had, uh, uh, TKO loss that he had by referee stoppage. But Bien ended up being a pretty solid fighter. Wayne Barrett, that's a good win for him. Jason Wilness the first time, their rivalry. Then he had the draw in San Diego. Then he had the victory over Artem Levin in the very controversial where... Levin called forfeit because they kept calling fouls on him. Um, the Jacoby wins, uh, and then he winds, uh, winds up the year with uh, wins over Zach Wells, Jason Wilness, and he loses to Peria in 2018, and he's been inactive since. So if you look at that run of guys, that's a really, really, really fantastic resume. I think it's, uh, if when I break this down, it's clearly one of the top four resumes. Not even hard for me to, you know, 
this didn't come up as a difficult decision for me. Like it wasn't something where I was like, man, I wonder if the blank had happened. Uh, when I looked at that, I was like really, really close to, you know, um, uh, it was really, really easy for me to say this resume is one of the best resumes, I should say. So uh, I'm really glad for him and his success. I uh, hope that he, you know, finds himself in the ring soon. But man, what a talent. What a great, you know, decade he had. For sure, this list would make no sense if Simon Marcus wasn't on the list. And as I said before, for all of these, you guys are good to message back and, you know, say, hey, I agree or disagree. But man, for me, that was an easy one. I really, really think that his talent showed up extremely well and he did extremely well um, as a, a glory kickboxing talent. The next name I'm going to talk about is a name that I just mentioned before, uh, Artem Levin. Artem Levin, first, outside of his big wins in Russia, and I'll start talking about those, he actually had a really good run at 77 kgs. You know, like uh, if I were to go to it, so it's kind of like when you look at the history of uh, kickboxing and, and you look at like some of the better guys of all time, like your Tyrone Spongs. Moving up in weight has mattered. It's happened for a lot of guys. Bakadov, who, you know, uh, a light heavyweight. Moving up in weight matters and has a good history in this sport. And I really think that if you can develop a strong resume at one class and move up, I think that it goes a long way. And for me, Levin was able to do that. And he really did campaign. And he kept going down. He kept fighting around 77 and 80 kgs. So I'm really giving him credit for his 82 87 kg type area but he fought all over it uh, let's go ahead and start going through some of the guys that he beat and as i mentioned before he kind of went through a lot of the weight classes so you're going to see some guys in the lower weight class as well uh 2010 alexander setarenko that's a little bit smaller weight uh alcine uzni also a little bit smaller weight but huge win go glaganorsen there goes a the victory there uh mertha grunhardt that was at 77 kgs um, and I remember they didn't have anybody to fight him, but Grunhardt was like, I'll do it. You know what I'm saying? Like he's just always down to fight someone, uh, after outscoring him, he scores a knee to the body to finish Grunhardt. Grunhardt was all beast. He, he kept fighting. He kept going. So shout out Grunhardt, um, Roberto Coco, who had one of the first kind of legends that I had heard about in kickboxing. Uh, he had a great highlight video right when I first started, uh, you know, it had like a Limp Bizkit song, but he was a great, great fighter. Uh, who just didn't get the recognition. He came back, and he wasn't what he was after a long hiatus, but he's still really good. Um, Steve Wakeland draw, the Simon Marcus loss that I mentioned. Sahak Paparian, big-time win there. Jason Wilness, big-time win there. And then he had a Joe Schilling loss uh, in the extra round, definitely debatable, but he would able, he'd get that back. Robert Thomas, Alex Pereira win. Philip Verlinden win. Joe Schilling win. That was when he uh, got the next Glory Los Angeles tournament. And um, we had Simon Marcus, uh, that was a draw. Uh, Daniel Alexandru, uh, Simon Marcus, the lost, was, that's the DQ. Igor Abeg, uh, Abeg, excuse me, Agenko, very solid win. I'm an Igor fan. He's a you know solid uh, fighter in Europe. And that was, they had a couple wins in China after that. So um, against Chinese fighters, uh, Zhao Wei, that happened in Moscow, Russia. And then David uh, Makovsky, not necessarily but the run that has him on here, of course, as I mentioned before, the Grunhardt, the Coco, um, Simon Marcus, you know, uh, uh, Joe Schilling, to have those guys 
that high level opposition that he went against, the Sahak Paparian victory, a Jason Wilness victory, to have those, the opposition that he went against was truly the best I felt. And I think that he represented himself extremely well, extremely well. So it's one of those things where it's like, I know when we look on his career and things that ended with glory and that split decision and that uh, DQ, those are definitely legit asterisks that you have to consider. You can't not do the story without that. But it's important that we have that in there. And uh, definitely, um, I really, really like his resume over that period of time. Just a a stunning, stunning um, career. And he's done a great job. So we're going to go ahead and move on from him. And we're going to go to a very popular name and Alex Pereira, the current glory kickboxing champion in the middleweight division and also the interim uh, champion. This dude has put together, uh, excuse me, interim champion at light heavyweight. This guy is not just a good fighter who's putting together a great resume, but he is in his prime winning by stoppage and he's making the resume that he's going to make that to end his career. So right now, as I talk to you guys in the background on silent, the, the showing highlights of Mike Tyson because he lost to Buster Douglas. So like the, 30 years ago, the day that this had happened. The reason why I'm looking at Tyson and I'm looking at like uh, who he was, the thing that made that victory so big, it's that Douglas beat him when he was in the height of his powers, when he was deemed unbeatable. You know, when a guy finally won a decision with him, that was considered a victory. But the guy really didn't win. He just did enough to not get knocked out. So Tyson was at the height of his powers and he's beating everyone at stoppage. That is what you are watching and witnessing right now. Right now, this very moment for Alex Pereira, you are seeing someone in their prime, in the height of their powers, who are going out there, not with the mentality of getting a decision, but the mentality of stopping people and proving that they are the superior fighter on the planet, uh, especially at the weight class. And that just throw weight class out of it. He's making his pound for pound argument as well. He's going out there and he's winning by KO. So let's go ahead and just talk about his career, which all took place so far in the 2010 to 2019 range. First one that uh, Wikipedia has down for him is 2012. Of course, there's more than that. But let's look at some of these names. First, Felipe Micheletti, who is now in glory, but he got him early in his career. Um, you have a, a it's Showtime loss to Jason Wellness. It's important that I say that because that's going to come back. I remember it's Showtime 60. It went to Brazil, and the uh, it's one of those things where it's like your eyes open to the talent out there, and it helps everyone as a whole. So in 2012, uh, it's Showtime 60. They had a TV deal. They worked some sort of deal out because um, Simon Roots always did co-promoting. So he worked out a deal with Brazil, and he used some of their talent. And some of those guys had some big step-up opportunities, and they got big-time KO losses. And But it's still awesome that they took the opportunities. Early, early in his career, Jason Wilness has a victory over uh, – a TKO victory um, by retirement on the stool over a very, very young Alex Pereira. So then after that, he goes against Cesar Almeida, gets the victory over him. Uh, they, they have a split. Almeida gets a victory back over him later. And then he has uh, some more success against guys in WGP, which is the best, one of the best kickboxing organizations in the world, like outside of the glory, uh, especially for the country. They do well. WGP does extremely well. So he is their champion. Uh, he then gets his opportunity to fight in glory against Dustin Jacoby. And that's the first time everybody gets a shot of the left hook killer. 
clean, clean left hook KO over Dustin Jacoby. Uh, then goes on to beat Sahak Paporian in the final. And now we know who he is, and now we're paying attention. It happens with KOs. So it's a WGB whip victory over Alexander Dimitrinko. Uh, then he gets Artem Levin in the last man standing tournament. He loses to Artem Levin. No shame there. Victory over Robert Thomas. Victory over Ivan Galas. Uh, Jason Wilness. They meet again. Jason wins again. So, uh, again, it's just the story of kickboxing. I love it. So then we move forward. Cesar Almeida. Victory. Israel Adesanya. There goes that name again. Victory. Uh, he then beats Junior uh, uh, Junior Alpha. He has a victory over um, Barim Rama. Not not as high, but it was a glory victory, but not as notable a name. Then has a loss to Yushri Belgari. Not the end of the world. That was a tournament, um, a four-man tournament. Belgari wins the tournament, moves forward. But I like, I want you guys to notice this. Loss to Belgari, loss to Wilness, loss to Artik Shinko, also on this list. He has some losses on the tour to becoming what he is. This is how he closes the year. Okay, now that you guys have got that, this is how he closes the year. KO decision, KO, KO decision, KO, KO, KO. That's how he closes out. Excuse me, not the year, the deck, the decade. He gets a win over Mykon Silva. Gets a win over Simon Marcus. Uh, scored a knockdown uh, in their second battle in um, Chicago. Gets two wins over Yusuri Balgari, both by KO. Uh, gets a stoppage win over Jason Wilness. Gets a win over uh, Danagi Abanya and a step-up opportunity uh, at the, when the um, the light, excuse me, to win the light heavyweight interim title. Then goes back down and wins by KO at the very end of the first round against Uchigrol Bayrock. So that's how he finishes this decade. So he really is going through it. And again, time's going to look really, you know, really well on some of his victories. The Israel Adesanya victory, it should be noted, and I said it before, Adesanya was winning the fight, had almost won my KO the round before it, had scored a knockdown. But a part of Alex Pereira's story is that he just keeps coming back. You know what I'm saying? Like he just keeps bouncing back, keeps fighting, you know, no matter what the scorecards say, he's keeps getting himself back into this fight thing. Uh, and that's important to me. It doesn't always go your way. Sometimes you just have to battle back through your ups and downs, and uh, the opportunity to have success comes for you a little bit later, but doesn't come the way that you would like. So got two more names on this list. And uh, you know what? Let's go ahead and just – yeah, I got two more names on the list. Let's go, I got two more names on the list. And um, I'm going to try to do five for each weight class. I was going to do four, but now I'm going to do five. Even though it stopped in 2017 with two losses, um, you know, to Jason Wilness and Alex Pereira, Israel Adesanya really did have a great run in the 2000s. And here's what I mean. So, of course, he had a lot of fights in China. Very, very important. He had a Philip Verlinden loss. But then a lot of people thought he won that one. Uh, and then he avenged it. Beats Philip Valenden later down the road. Then, of course, he has a good run winning in, you know, uh, Australia and uh, winning in New Zealand, like like winning uh, in the Oceania part of the world. And then, very important, he beats Dan Roberts. Dan Roberts has got some history. Dan Roberts got a victory, I think, uh, what is it, a KO victory over, um, if I'm remembering it correctly, I could be wrong, but I'm 
I'm pretty sure, I'm just kind of going off the top of my head, that he has the head kick victory in shoot boxing over Nathan Corbett. Just trying to remember that, but I'm pretty sure. But anyways, he's got the victory over Dan Roberts. That's a big one and a half. Then he gets the Alex Pereira loss, and then here's where I think he makes his argument for getting in. Gets a victory over Usury Balgari, avenging that one. Gets a victory over Bogdan Stoika, very important. Robert Thomas victory, and then another Usury Balgari victory. I, I, I credit those and I value those victories highly. So Philip Verlinden, Roberts, Yushri Bulgari, Stoika, Thomas, those are legit wins. I think those are wins enough to get him on the outside looking in, you know, but I, I barely crossed the line with him because it was kind of between him and Joe Schilling. Uh, and, and I'll talk about Joe Schilling a little bit more later. But I really do think that he's great, good, you know, really talented kickboxer who had exceptional run. I will now wrap my list up of the, you know, again, it's it's just mine. And again, these are just my five and you can break them down and so on. I will now wrap my list up with the final name, and that is Arthur Koshenko. Arthur Koshenko is one of the most amazing kickboxing stories that I've ever witnessed ever in my life. And the reason why I say that, it's because he has done things to add to his legend that I didn't even think were possible. And I look at him and I look at his career and I go, this guy started off this decade fighting at 154 K, uh, pounds, at 70 kgs. He started it off. So he starts off in the K-1 World Grand Prix. He gets a victory. Uh, um, uh, excuse me. It's, it's showtime over Murat Drecki. So great job there. And then 70 kgs, he starts to run into some losses. Loses a hint to uh, Hanada Watanabe. The weight cut had a lot to do with that because it just a, a clean body kick. And Hanada is a, a beast of a kicker. But when you're cutting that much weight, it really showed up. He didn't look that bad, that great either on the scale. Then loses to Muhammad Kamal in an uh, entertaining fight and uh, the K1 World Grand Prix. And it was at that period of time they started to explore with going up. And the first time he went up, he fought around 77 kgs to 80 kgs. And he had names like Monsters, uh, Marcus Oberg, uh, Drago, uh, Gago Drago, Nikki Holtzkin. All these guys are around the 77 kg mark. Okay, so this is still 2011. So I haven't even gotten down into his middleweight resume yet. So he goes through this. And again, these are huge wins to have in the decade. Uh, the Robin Venru's mom and lost. That was in a tournament. Then he gets the Yosin Clyde Fairtex win. That was at the 70, you know, uh, uh, what was that? 72.5 kg. So around 160, I believe that fight took place uh, with the Yosin Clyde victory. Then Roberto Coco. Then he goes back down to 54, and he loses to Georgia Petrosian. And then he goes into the K1 World Max that they did. Um, uh, what was it? He had Su Juan Lee. He had Chris Ngimbi, Andy Sauer. And then um, he loses to Murtho Grunhardt in the final of that. And I think that's the end of his lightweight run. Moves up, goes, fights Abraham McQueenie. I think he beats Abraham McQueenie, but we all know how that goes with McQueenie. McQueenie ended up winning a decision he had a lot of those you know he is the king of the unfair decision in spain queenie got the victory anyways we move up we have usually best Mertney, that was a little bit bigger uh baker bakarat that was a little bit better come on that was a little bit bigger and uh take uh tokyo tokyo might have been his last uh run at 77 kgs if i remember correctly because then he went against Kep, uh, Karapet, Karapetian. I think that was also at 77 kgs. So after this point, we are still just now getting to the middle of the the uh, 
the decade. And most of his resume at this point is still smaller. It's with him fighting and doing work as a lightweight and as a welterweight. That's most of this decade. So now we move into the middle. You know, uh, Jonathan Oliveira, Dimitri Valant, Cedric Tosh, and then he starts to move up. Hachin Algoy, good victory there in the middleweight division. Ivan Dannenberg, they fought at 80 kgs. Very, very solid victory there, as you guys see how good Ed Dannenberg is right now. Um, Dimitri Valant, I mentioned him before. He's a kind of a, I don't want to call him a gatekeeper, but he's very important to the division. Then he beats Marissa Grunhardt. Jonathan Oliveira beats him for the second time. Alex Pereira, very important victory, of course. Zachariah Betar, very important victory. Uh, you've got other names from Russia here. Uh, Chechunin and then uh, Ayala Yalvar, Yorov, excuse me. And then he finishes his last, I think it was even full rules Muay Thai in France, over Yohan Ladon in June of this past year. So that's how he finishes it. He's on here for total work. Now, clearly you could say, well, maybe other people had a better resume at middleweight. Uh, I can understand if people want to feel that, and that could be a good argument against what I'm talking about here. I just don't think it's a good argument of what I'm talking about here. I think that that is a exceptional, great run uh, in the middleweight division, which is added on to by the fact that he had such an exceptional, great run in the lighter divisions. He is a talent. He's a great, all-time great talent. If there's a Hall of Fame, he's a first ballot Hall of Famer. He's just that good. He's an exceptional, exceptional fighter. And I'm excited to see um, what he decides to do as he goes into the end of his career. Remember, he was so young when he started in this sport. You know, like he, I think he was 19 years old when he won that K1 tournament. Uh, I think it was in Lithuania. But I remember he was not the favorite. Like I didn't have him as the favorite. Uh, and then he goes away and he wins the tournament. And then he gets the opportunity to fight in his debut it uh, was in the 2006 K1 World Grand Prix. Uh, he was an undercard match. But that just shows this guy went from 154 to now really, really looking, you know. He's Kashinkosaurus, as I call him, because he's all built and muscular now. Uh, and you'll hear, you know, whenever that happens, you're always going to hear the steroid accusations and stuff like that, whatever. I don't get to, into any of that because I don't know it. You know what I'm saying? I, I haven't witnessed it. All I am saying is, I went and with my own eyes, I went to Mike's gym. And when I was at Mike's gym, I saw them. Uh, they have like a treadmill workout that they do in the beginning. Uh, so you want to get your running in and they want to burn you out at a certain pace. But you do that before you do your, for your practice. I came in and him and Grunhart were running at the time when I walked into the gym. And the first thing that I noticed when I saw him, the first words that came out of my mouth was, that is the biggest 154-pound fighter I've ever seen. 77 kgs. He is huge. He looked like there was no way he could make the weight class. He's just a big dude. And somehow he still went down and fought at 54 after the day that I, I did the filming there. He's a huge guy. He is a huge, huge guy. So when he ended up, you know, being a middleweight down the road, it made sense to me. He was just so big, you know. Uh, his height's okay, but just really his, he just physically just bigger, you know, like he's a bigger, bigger kid. But so that's my list. Clearly, the only other name that people would hear and they're like, you know, what happened? You know, why wasn't this person added? The other name that a lot of people were kind of wondering about would be, and again, this is my personal opinion. A lot of people are wondering, where's Joe Schilling's name? If I were to add a six, I would strongly consider Joe Schilling. Uh, the reason why I didn't use him is just there were so many periods of, I'd say, 
consistent losses, you know, to some of the elite guys. Uh, the Eddie Walker loss, for example, two Simon Marcus uh, losses, and those were back to back. And then the Artem Levin uh, loss, uh, but of course that's that's a weird one. The, his, the victory he has over him was kind of strange. The Cato loss, that's a anomaly. The Jason Wilness, and then he had guys that they were just throwing at him. He, he didn't even know him. Like I remember him saying, "I don't even know these guys that they're giving me in Bellator kickboxing." He got three of those guys in a row, and then he finishes off with Philip Valinden. So 2017 was when he stopped doing this. Uh, Mike Lemaire now fights at 77 kg. So uh, the Jason Wilness fight, that was an injury, but he had some good moments in it. But, uh, you know, that was an injury there. I can see an argument for Schilling, which is why I'm talking about him on the show. You know what I'm saying? Uh, go like an Orson win. Uh, Karapet, Karapetian. Um, I, I think that he is a guy that I have to mention on the podcast. I don't see him as high as the others for the team. You know, I had five on the spot. Uh, but I really do think that you can make an argument for what he did. Um, but some of this was at the lower weight class too. Uh, and then just the consistency. If you look at the 2012 to 2014 in there you've got five losses and it's like one of those things where it's like that does hurt you to have them all so close together you know uh it's just that the consistency he didn't have a big long streak like you saw some from some of the others i don't count the bellator kickboxing streak so those are the only things that work against him but man he really is a talent and he really did uh probably the most popular american kickboxer and muay thai guy so he has to get recognition for that so I wanted to take the time to put him on here, uh, just, just to mention him, but my list would still lean Adesanya, um, who would be kind of the fifth guy. He wouldn't be on the Rush, Mount Rushmore, but he is on the team. And then, of course, Kashinko, uh, Pereira, Simon Marcus. Uh, I guess some people would make an argument for Wilmes. I don't, uh, but um, I think that he's just a really good guy in the division. He did win the championship. Uh, but Mark Hunt won the championship and I wouldn't put Mark Hunt on my all heavyweight team for the 2000 to 2010 period of time. So that doesn't necessarily guarantee you a spot. So the names that I like the most are the names that I mentioned before. Uh, and then of course it does hurt Willness that he's closed the two, the decades so bad, you know, so he's got really good wins. You know what I'm saying? He's got Asanya, got Marcus, got Schilling, got Berlinden. He's got really good wins, but he's closed this decade, you know, not as strong as he clearly as he would like. So that does affect kind of my view of his run from 2010 to 2000. I mean, he's still a great fighter, but that's the reason why those names were left out. You know, uh, if you're wondering why didn't Schilling make it, why didn't uh, uh, Willness make it, that's the only reason. So I'll go ahead and wrap up the podcast. This is my five for the all-decade team. Doesn't mean they're the best five in the world. Well, for me, it does. Doesn't mean that you can't argue the point, but I say if you look back at that period of time, is there an argument that these guys had the most amazing resumes and have done things as far as stretching your imagination? That's very important to me. Stretching your imagination for what this sport can do, uh, having streaks that have kind of, you know, put them in the legendary status, uh, people who will be all time Hall of Famers, like, do they have that in the list? For the most part, I would say yes. Wrapping it up, Adesanya, Arthur Koshenko, Alex Pereira, uh, Simon Marcus, and then Artem Levin. That is my five for the middleweight division. I'll be back next week. I might do two in one episode, but I'm for sure going to do this throughout the week along with the results that come out. 
Thank everyone for listening. God bless. You guys have a good one. Peace.